Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm excited because I'm talking to my good buddy, Toby McAllister, from the band Sparks the Rescue. Sparks the Rescue formed in the mid-2000s. They got signed to Fearless Records, and then they went independent and released some EPs. Fantastic band. If you never had a chance to listen to them, definitely go check their catalog because they're a great band. If Taking Back Sunday and Made a Parade had a baby, you'd get Sparks the Rescue. Alex's voice, their singer, he has a really unique voice, and Toby lended to a lot of the backup vocals. You can hear him doing a lot of the call and response vocals on their albums. He's a great singer as well. He does cover gigs. He talks about the many projects that he's in, sometimes with the band. I've known Toby for a couple years now. We've become good friends. Shameless plug, I have an online nutrition slash fitness coaching business. I've been working with Toby now for a couple months. Just really love Toby. Total pleasure to talk to. He's just an infectious guy, super positive. Just had a baby, so he is entering a new phase of adulthood in his life and he seems to be doing a great job and really enjoying that and he's doing live streams right now during covid he's done i think over 40 live streams so definitely check that out follow him on facebook he's been doing them every weekend during the colder months i'll quit blabbing without further ado my wide-ranging conversation with mr toby McAllister. he's got control It may record video, but I never pull that one. I always just pull the audio when I'm editing and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I've always wondered how it is getting into podcasting. Yeah, dude. It's been a fun little learning curve. Editing is definitely tedious. It takes a long yeah. time. As you can imagine, if you've ever been in front of Pro Tools and you've been snapping everything to a grid and you're taking individual hits of everything, yeah, that's what it's aching to. Yeah, I'm sure it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. When it's over, I'm so stoked because I think to myself, I have a new episode. I can throw this up on Anchor. People can listen right. to this, you know? The excitement I felt whenever we would finish a demo or get done recording a song, yeah. it's similar to that feeling because you took something that was nothing before and right. now it's something that you can put it into the ether somehow. Yeah. That is still the cool feeling. And I think that it harkens back to why people like you and I like being creative in the first place. Right. We like creating things, you know, even yeah, something yeah. as silly as just a conversation with somebody. Yeah, no, I get what you mean, man. I miss having that demo feeling. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, have you ever recorded, jumped into that process where you teach yourself how to record and use Pro Tools and Logic and all that stuff? Yeah, I'm kind of like doing that right now. I've been doing it a little bit lately. So I think in like another month or two, I'll have the hang of it. But it's super fun just to sit down. I got like my MIDI keyboard and my mixer hooked up and just kind of messing around on Logic. Rad, man. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've got a couple friends that use Studio One. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that too. Yeah. I don't know why they like that one so much. So yeah. I'm wondering if there's something from a user experience standpoint, if it's just really easy to edit and create in. One of my friends, he records in town in Kansas City. I should just talk to him. He said that they do a good job of listening to their customers. So if they do an update, they listen to the feedback that they get on how maybe to implement easier ways to edit or just create a better workflow and things like that. Yeah. And then they'll put that in the new version of it when they re-release it. When they update things, they'll take that feedback into account ah, and they so add all that stuff. Yeah, they actually yeah. listen to all the customers and that's that's a new idea. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. You're right. like, it doesn't, doesn't happen so very simple. often. Should be simple and uh, most things are like that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think when you have big companies, they not only stop listening to the people that are on the front lines that work for them, but yeah. they stop listening to their customers too. Absolutely. And then you have these outside consultants that come in and say, okay, we need to start doing surveys. Yeah. Surveys for the employees, surveys for management, surveys for team leads, and then surveys for customers so that we can do a better job. Right. And it seems like the more they do that, the more well-rounded and better of a company they're going to be. But they probably also do that in certain ways with A-B testing, marketing stuff and everything too. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the weather like there today in Maine? Oh, dude, it's like two degrees. So, but I am, I think, I think my mom's coming over later. We're going to do a little snowshoe out back. Should be fun. Red. Awesome. But like I'm home with the, ba- it's, this is convenient because she just went down for a nap, but like it's too cold to take her out even in the front pack. So yeah, it's kind of chilling. <laughs> Completely understandable, my friend. Yeah. Congratulations, by the thanks. way. Yeah, I probably thanks. told you that at some point, but how old is she now? She is like three and a half months. Wow. Still yeah. so fresh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How- it's, it's flawed. And buy up in in one sense. <laughs> okay, but yeah, sometimes that's... sometimes it feels like the days are are slow. You know, absolutely, man, exactly. And then time kind of gets away from you because a few months goes by, right? And you feel right. like it was just yesterday you were bringing her home. Yeah, Pamela, she has two kids, and we started dating about five years ago, just yeah. over five years now. And it's been pretty incredible to watch them grow up. Her daughter was two when I met her. Yeah, seven now. I can have a conversation with her. She's got a personality. You know, she gives me a hard time. She jokes around with me, which is hilarious. But I know that's so funny. It's crazy, man. You just literally watch a human being develop a personality. It's kind of wild to see. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked for that. Yeah. And she really likes Panic at the Disco. Even better. (laughs) Right. Which is just so crazy to me because I remember (laughs) I feel like my dad you know, telling me cool stories about when he went to concerts back in the day, yeah. <laughs> because I remember seeing Panic at the Disco play before the record came out. Wow. That's yeah, dude. He was, I don't know if you remember, but he went on tour opening for cartel. The Academy is an acceptance. Yeah. That is a hell of a lineup right there. Yeah. Right. 2005. Yeah. I saw them play this little tiny venue in St. Louis. We drove out there and he was just 18 year old, 19 year old kid, but the record hadn't come out yet, but he came out and he was full on rock star already. Yeah. And I, I had a feeling they were going to just explode. I mean, feel by ramen. They were just exploding everybody around that time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool, man, dude. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate yeah. it. Hell yeah. I've been thinking about having you on for a while now. I mean, it makes sense. We've been friends now for a little while, but yeah, man, when I started this podcast, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. It was kind of an experiment. 
really. Yeah. I knew I wanted to talk music because I enjoy talking about music and I haven't really had an opportunity to do that with COVID and everything just because nobody can hang out yep. in person. And I don't really call my friends and, hey, you want to talk music for an hour? Yeah, right. <laughs> but this gives me a perfect excuse to do that. So you played in Sparks to Rescue. I'm just saying that so people know who you cool. are. Yep. I was just reading on Wikipedia because obviously I know from the outside looking in, I remember when Eyes to the Sun came out. I loved that record. I was oh, cool. I was in the American life at the time and we were paying attention to who Fearless was signing at the time. Right, yeah. And around those particular years in, in 2008, 2009, you guys, it said that you specifically formed a band in 1999 when you were still in junior high. Is that right? Yeah, whoever did Wikipedia did a good job. That's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Have you looked at your Wikipedia page? Dude, it's been a real long time since I've checked that. I, maybe I should check it out at some point. <laughs> yeah, you should just go on there and put crazy outlandish things in there that aren't true at all. Yeah, because I can edit it too, right? Yep. Yeah, all right. I think I'll do that tonight. Yeah. Or you could have your wife go in there and edit stuff. Yeah, perfect. Like little, <laughs> little things that like here, you know, a sentence here, a sentence there, maybe over yeah. time, it just gets really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those crazy VH1 behind the music stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, I can imagine 1999. I'm sure you were listening to a lot of the music that I was listening to around that time. MXPX yeah. and Blink-182. What was the basis for starting the band in junior high? Probably that 1999, just enema of the state right there. Me and my buddies, Ben and Nate, had a trio in high school and we were awful until we weren't so awful. Did you guys play covers? Yeah, we started doing Blink covers and like Sum 41 and Offspring covers. But by like ninth grade, we had written a full length record. It was was pretty bad, but we did it. And then- You wrote uh, it? Did you record it? Yeah, we did. I got copies in in my- attic somewhere. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, so you're going to put that on Spotify today, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Maybe under some <laughs> hidden name that I can just tell people, all right, if you really want to hear it, type this in. <laughs> yeah. We were called Poser with a Z. So we were pretty cool. We did put out a few EPs and stuff and it was nice just kind of like learning, you know, we f- recorded the first one ourselves. And then the second EP we did, I think we went to New Hampshire and recorded in like a studio, which was new and exciting. How old were you? Man, I don't know. That was probably like 10th grade. I don't know. How old are you in 10th? grade. I don't even remember. 15, 16. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Um, and then by the time we were seniors in high school, we had like, we're, we'd gotten pretty decent and we were playing shows as a trio. We kind of wanted to step it up. I was the guitar player and we wanted to maybe add another guitar player. So we did that and changed the name and we were that four piece for a while. And then that guitar player left, you know, big, like 17, 18 year old kids, big drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So then we, man, we've gone through a lot of band members, but we ended up meeting up with Pat and Alex and started really marketing ourselves as Sparks before we went and recorded our first EP with Wyman up here in Maine at a real studio. Cool. How old were you then when Sparks formed? It was right out of high school. We went to University of Southern Maine for like a semester, went to class like once in a while, but mostly just were jamming and... Yeah, so probably like set, I don't know, 18, maybe. Okay, perfect. Um, and we recorded our first record and that's, we did it independently before it got picked up by a small label in New York called Double Blind Records. And okay. then eventually got signed to Fearless and they like remixed it and mastered it. And so Eyes to the Sun was actually written like over the course of a few years. We had, you know, that old saying, like you have all this time to write your first record and then one year to write your second record. Oh yeah. That's so true. That's what lends to the sophomore slump, unfortunately, for a lot of bands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, it's true. Yeah, but I mean, in many ways, I think your second record on Fearless, I think it's 
great. I love that record. Thanks, man. Yeah. I, I I like it too. I I went back and listened to it recently, and you know what they say is they you shouldn't name a record with like any kind of negative connotation, and uh, we call that. Do they say that? That's that's what I remember that being told to me by some record executive. Uh, don't name a CD that's gonna make you sound negative, and we named that CD the worst thing I've been cursed with. And- <laughs> It kind of ended up being that way because by the time that record cycle was done, we were dropped from the label and, you know, manager and all that. Okay. So let's go back a little bit. You said you recorded Eyes to the Sun before you got signed to Fearless. Yeah. And then you put it out. And then can you tell the story of the transition between Double Blind to Fearless? Yeah. How did they hear it? So Double Blind was a label in New York City. They were really cool guys. They did a lot of techno music and party music and then also had a couple of rock bands. So it's not like we, you know, wasn't like a great fit necessarily, but we were just excited that our music was on iTunes or whatever. And then yeah. um, they started shopping us around to labels. We went to New York City and met with a bunch of labels. It was fun, but we ended up landing at Fearless out in California. And, and it's funny because we did this whole showcase in New York City with all, you know, the industry folks came and watched us, but I'm not even sure Fearless was there. Fearless was one of the last labels to express interest in it. We just knew like after meeting them and talking to them that it was going to be a good fit. Well, I think it was good timing for you guys at that time. I mean, Fearless was, they were one of those labels where it seemed like they were just picking up a lot of bands at around that time. They were kind of experiencing the momentum and the success of bands like Mayday Parade and Go Radio and The Main. I remember yeah. The Main was just exploding around that 2007, 2008 mark. And you had bands like Boys Like Girls, All Time Low, We The yeah. Kings, all just kind of exploding. Kind of the next incarnation of pop punk was this pop rock genre. Totally. And it's so funny now because I look back, I don't know if it's a knock against it or what, but anytime alternative press does a story about that time period they always call it neon pop punk yeah because <laughs> <laughs> all does, the shirts were neon it does feel like i don't know if dated is the right word but it was like a moment in time and it was really cool to live through it absolutely yeah just like it was cool to live through the early 2000s where you had labels like drive through exploding and fueled yep. by ramen and bands like taking back sunday i felt like the new jersey new york post emo. Oh yeah. Punk, whatever you want to call it. That was a pretty exciting time. There was just a lot of really important bands coming out around that time. So yeah. just so I understand, cause I actually find this really fascinating. Double Blind set you up with a showcase for other labels. Yeah. I think Double Blind's goal was to, you know, kind of sell us off. Okay. So it could have been mutually beneficial. You guys could have gotten signed to a bigger label, but they, it would have been beneficial for them because they would have had maybe like licensing rights for your first record exactly. or they get a little money for shop you and them being responsible. So it was almost like they were managers in a Pretty sense. Pretty much. Yeah. And I know like at the time they were, man, they were trying really hard to get us on a major label, which kind of terrified us. But we had this song called Hello Mexico. And a lot of people saw a lot of potential in that song. And it's so, dude, it's so weird. We didn't, we never even made a video for it. Like we never released it as a single. It was definitely yeah, think so. the most single song we had, I think. But I mean, I could write a book and all the stuff that we didn't do and should have done. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> I would read that. It'd what not to do funny. in the music industry? That's something I could write about. <laughs> Yeah, I think that stuff's fascinating. And I've been there. I've been in several bands and we just made all sorts of mistakes and yeah. you don't really understand what they are in the moment. You're just kind of throwing things at the wall and hoping something sticks, something catches. Yeah. But we did a lot of things correctly and then we did a lot of things incorrectly. And I can see them much clearer looking back. In oh, yeah. 
It's crazy, man. That yeah. thinking back on things we could have done. And I'm not saying like everything we did was wrong. I think we did a lot of right stuff too, but you're right. You know, we were, we were young and, and just like partying and writing songs and traveling. And like, we weren't thinking a whole lot about maybe what the end game could be. We were just having like a ton of fun in the moment. Yeah. And those are the memories that you cherish and that you take with yeah. you, you know, and those are the things that you find parallels later in life. You're like, I'm glad I did that. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. Did you guys showcase for any majors and what was that like? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We had this weekend in New York City where we were meeting with people like three times a day. And that was really cool just being able to talk to all these labels. You know, some were, I think it was Island Def Jam was like, we're not going to like sign you guys, but because everyone else is meeting with you, we have to meet with you. And so we just had dinner and drank wine all night with them. Like, you know, stuff like that. But is a that lot what they of people- actually said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to sign you, but everybody's here. So we have to come. Yeah, like it, it was like we were like the new kid in town for a second because everyone else was taking meetings. Like people just started taking meetings to say they took a meeting. I don't really get it. Uh, there's still a lot of stuff about the music industry that I just, I don't even want to know, man. But we did end that weekend with uh, a showcase at Arlene's Grocery, which is a really sweet venue in New York City, very small. And it was just the entire audience was like, I think our parents came down to New York to watch us play. But it wasn't, it was mostly just like dudes on their Blackberries and suits and kind of just standing stretching. in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did one of those in the American Life, the last band that I was in, and our manager set it up. We went out to, I want to say it was the Roxy in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. We went yeah. all the way out to California. And I remember supposedly there were people there, but we couldn't see them because they were yeah. hanging out by the bar in the back. So it just felt like we were playing to an empty room. It was the strangest thing. Yeah. And I remember our bass player, he came out and he cursed on stage and somebody yeah. said it was like abrasive or something. I don't know. We were very insecure about it and we were worried that that blew our shot, yeah. quote unquote, you know? Right. And it was such a strange experience. But I remember that night, it was a venue that had two stages in it, two venues in it. And there was another show going on. And of course there was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was a band on Equal Vision. I'm forgetting the name of them now, but they were playing and there was a lot of people there to see them. And then huh. we were playing in the other room to nobody. Right. And it was so strange. Like we, there was a couple of movie stars that showed up, quote unquote, but you know, like B movie stars that showed up to the show. They were younger. Hell yeah. And it was just the most strange thing I've ever been a part of band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's some weird shit. Yeah. Uh, the, Rock, the Roxy is that, I know we've played the Roxy that it's kind of like a, maybe a cir- semicircle stage. Yeah. Is that my thing of the right? Yeah. I believe so. I'm pretty sure that's where it was at. And yeah, it was just bizarre. I always hear these stories of bands showcasing for labels and sometimes it is one label. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a band showcasing for Victory back in the early 2000s? See, I've heard so many things about Victory Records. <laughs> All I can say is I'm glad we never got tied up with them. <laughs> yeah, me too, for sure. I think a but lot of people are glad I don't that know, didn't happen. I don't know of anyone that did a showcase for them. Was it? Did they have to do weird stuff? My first band in the early 2000s, I was in a pop punk band called Game Time. And yes. the there's a whole story with Victory Records that I'll probably share at some point on the Ooh. podcast. We didn't ultimately get to showcase for them. We went to Chicago to play for them and it just didn't work out. Just a ridiculous story. But yeah. we heard stories about how they would literally have bands show up to their offices and try to basically rig up their situation as a band in the offices to play oh. in like an office building. And it would literally be Tony Brummel standing there with like a notepad and all the other people surrounding him just watching and wow. nobody would say anything or do anything or clap or anything. They would just have the band play and it was supposedly like the most awkward thing of all time. And that sounds horrible. It does. It really does. And but they had some killer bands too, man. I mean, they definitely had some killer bands on their label. 
Yeah, I think Tony Brummel for <laughs> being like a, a mob boss, yeah. so to speak, within the scene, he knew how to capitalize on that late 90s hardcore momentum. Definitely. And for whatever reason, he just picked the right bands, you know, with Thursday, Taking Back Sunday, Hotline yep. Heights, all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Dude, there was a lot of killer bands there. And they I've all heard... eventually sued him. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, heard so many horror stories about Victory. I was just like, I, I've always just kind of kept it out of my, just, I never even, I never really heard specific, like, people I knew horror stories. It was just kind of like, gossip you know hearsay you're not quite sure what to believe about certain things and i kind of like it that way (laughs) yeah i think a lot of the times it was just these labels they were such machines they had these really strict contracts and they stuck by them yeah and i think sometimes what it was they had a situation in marketing where the fine print would say you get such and such royalties after marketing is recouped right but the caveat there was that marketing was a perpetual thing that never ended. Yeah, of course. So you just never recoup any money, but (laughs) neither here nor there. That's hearsay Yeah, uh, for another podcast someday. But yeah, man. So you guys showcased for a bunch of the labels, but then you ended up signing to Fearless. How did that happen? I'm assuming Bob from Fearless heard you guys. Yeah, Bob's the man, dude. Or maybe an A&R person. uh, I want to say Bob was pretty much our guy. I mean, but you know, thinking back, like everyone who worked there became a really good friend and I'm still friends with most of them on Facebook too, including Bob. We, you know, are in touch here and there over Instagram and stuff, but cool. he was, yeah, he, he wanted to sign us and we were stoked. We loved Fearless Records and we loved the bands on Fearless. And it was like, uh, kind of like a dream come true to say we were like on their label and they did become kind of like family members to us. Anytime we were out there, we would stay with one of the dudes or whatever, and they would house us and we'd party with them and hang. And I think one of the coolest things they did for us is they put us on the pop goes punk compilation. So we covered need you now. I think that's our most played song on Spotify, which is cool, man. I, every time I look at it, I'm like, damn, a lot of people, I think it must be on playlists or something. Oh, yeah. If you go to other bands that have been on those compilations, yeah, very often, that's their most popular song. If you go to MXPX's Spotify, this is separate, but they have two cover EPs. Yeah. And they cover a song that's another cover by the Muffs. And I just recently found out it was a, they covered it as well. But it's the very beginning of the movie Clueless. Oh, they okay. Cover that song. Yeah. And that's their number one song on Spotify. Spotify, MXPX, <laughs> like this legendary band with literally hundreds of songs, classic songs. And this cover of a cover is their claim to fame on Spotify. Yeah, it's a weird thing, man. Yeah, I think people just really love pop punk covers. They do. It was, yeah, it was part of that moment in time. I mean, yeah. actually, I, st- I still kind of like pop punk covers even now. Absolutely. What are some of your favorites? I know I'm kind of going all over the place here, but what are yeah. some of your favorite pop punk covers? Man, recently I've been digging on this dude on YouTube who covers like, I shared a couple on Facebook. He did a Bare Naked Ladies song and then like if Blink-182 wrote Semi Charmed and I just yeah. went down that little rabbit hole. Dude, like he's so good. <laughs> he is good. I know who you're talking about. He's got a lot of YouTube views. And yeah. Stuff. He must be really proficient in recording because he must record these things yeah. by himself just very quickly and then throws them up there and like they sound good yeah Yeah. they sound really professional and the fact that he's able to then basically create a music video on his own wow man just think of i wonder if he's like was he doing that pre-quarantine i wonder is that kind of like a new thing it's smart it it is smart yeah he's probably making a decent chunk of youtube revenue just off the algorithm yeah because he puts a really he gets the benefit of having third eye blind and blink 182 in the same sentence for the algorithm that's true but i'm sure quarantine probably accelerated that just having more time more capacity but 
I see these bands now, it's like they'll release a single, they'll record it and produce it themselves. And then they'll literally create a music video for yeah. the company. And it's just incredible the ingenuity and what our phones can do now. Like yeah, how the limited industry, technology. The industry has changed a lot. And I was thinking about that too, like being in a touring band like we were and having to deal with 2020, like I, this, I feel for bands, man, it's just got to be the roughest. Because yeah. even during normal times, you know, we weren't making any money. We were just living by being on tour. Oh yeah. And, and if that was taken away, like I'm sure it has been for a lot of bands now, it's just, I don't even know. I don't know how you come back from it. It's crazy how some people have such a great attitude about it too. Yeah. I know it's not the easiest thing to be positive about this, but I just listened to Derek from Mayday Parade on yep. the, the Shane Told lead singer syndrome podcast. Yep. I think he has a couple kids or maybe he has just one kid. He's married, but he was talking about how he's been grateful that he's able to just soak up this time at home. Yeah. Even though, like you just said, his way of making a living for the most part, it sounds like they're making the best of it because they're making a new record right now, Zach and Ken, but they haven't been able to tour. They literally, their last show was at the end of 2019. Yeah, unreal, man. But and it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. true. Being home is nice too. I mean, there's always so many benefits. Like we've, I was home the whole year. My wife was pregnant and she was able to work remotely. I wasn't really working because I had no gigs. And so like just us and our pup, we're just home all year. And then I've been able to spend the first three months with our newborn. And, you know, Leslie was able to as well. She just went back to work very recently, but that's been a wicked blessing in disguise. You know, yeah, I'm very thankful for that too. Yeah. Pamela, who I mentioned earlier, her kids, they've been doing remote school yep. pretty much since everything shut down back in March. And they went back to school here in Lawrence, Kansas for a couple days. And she was devastated. Yeah. You know, at the same time, she was expressing gratitude that she was able to spend so much extra time with her kids that she would have otherwise not been able to do. Right. Because she has a little bit of latitude with her schedule. She does hair so she can work three days out of the week and make a decent income. Oh, so yeah. she had a couple days where she'd spend the entire day basically playing para or assistant teacher to her kids or a teacher in some cases. But wow. it, she'll probably look back on that and think, man, what a blessing that was. Oh, you yeah. Know? So many people don't get to experience that. And even though it was really difficult, it could be really challenging and hard sometimes. But yeah, I'm sure you're thankful in, oh, in yeah. many ways. Because I mean, I'm full time. So usually I'm gigging at least five or six days a week. And most of the time it's at night where I'm getting home at between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And so just to be able to be home right now and not do that, I'm I know I'm going to look back and be very grateful for just yeah. to be be here for, you know, my daughter's first, you know, six months. Probably I'm, I can't imagine I'm going to be doing much gigs until summer shows back up. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, totally, man. There's always a silver lining. You just got to find it. <laughs> yeah, I love that, man. I completely agree. It's all about reframing. I like the word reframing. I use yeah. it a lot with people because I can be pretty cynical if left to my own devices. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like I tend to gravitate towards the negative. Yeah. But I realize now that I'm a little bit older that I get to choose in many of the situations that happen to me day to day or just happen in real life. And I can cultivate a sense of gratitude and it helps me shift my perspective on so many different things. And I'm able to create a different truth almost. Yeah. As if you're looking at it, like everything's happening to me instead of for me in a sense. Yeah. When you shift those things a little bit, it can really, I think, enhance your life in so many ways and it's like just not knowing that piece of information is huge that's gonna yeah help a lot. yeah it's helpful right it's really empowering in some regards there's been times in my life where it felt like nothing was going right I'm sure everybody can relate to that and yeah. you just feel sort of like you're just colliding with circumstances yeah. like you're literally just being barraged with or inundated with small annoyances and problems and things yeah. and you, why is you the universe doing this to me yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can definitely get in that victimhood mentality.
reality. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's a good time in, you know, I think everyone's lives to kind of just take a step back. And I don't know, after the year we just went through and uh, yeah, thinking positively has gone a long way and it's helped me a lot. I'll bet, man. Does it ever get difficult being in Maine where you guys do get weather that keeps you boxed in and isolated sometimes where you get a lot of yeah. snowfall and it's cold? Yeah, the seasonal depression's a real thing up here, but I've found that I can combat that by like embracing the winter. So, you know, I'm heavy into snowshoeing and even winter hiking when I can and just get, even getting outside just for a walk and, you know, bundling up, whatever. As long as you can kind of embrace the winter, it really doesn't have to be that bad. You know, normally we'd be like also skiing, snowboarding, but you know, we're, we're kind of just chilling at home for the most part. Cool. No, I love that. I mean, that literally just goes right in line with what we were just talking about reframing yeah. situations and things like that. You're embracing the winter, which is a hard thing for a lot of people to do. It is, you know, it's even up here on, on our local media, Facebook, people, you no, know, the weather channel announces storm. People are like get all pissed off. It's going to snow. I'm like, you might be living in the wrong place then. <laughs> like it yeah. does snow here like half the year. So yeah, you may want to move to a different state. Yeah. Florida. So, or something. <laughs> yeah. Don't move to Florida. There's, no, don't do that. Whatever you do. Don't do that. My, <laughs> my sister is living in Florida right now. So she'll laugh at this, but well, cool, man. So sparks the rescue. So you put out the second record and yes. then you guys went through some lineup changes, which I know very much about. I've experienced that myself. Yep. What was that like during that time? Was it daunting or were you guys trying to cultivate a fresh start after you lost a couple people? Yeah. I mean, we kept it going for quite a while. See on the second record pat had left and we got mike to join on guitar mm -hmm. and that still felt like you know it still felt like the band and we you know i'm still we're all proud of that record i think and mike is now playing guitar in panic of the disco right yes he is it's out of control that he is just, crazy he just released his own single actually which is awesome and he's got some really cool stuff coming in through the works me and him stay in touch on a pretty regular basis so i'm really stoked for him not only is he in panic but he's gonna be putting out some really killer music so that that's still rad. felt like sparks and then after that, dude, I mean, I'd, I'd probably have to check our Wikipedia, but we definitely phased in and out a few members over the course of a few EPs. But it was always... That, you left Fearless. Is that because you were done with your contractual obligations? You guys had a two record deal or how did that work? I think towards the end of our second record cycle, it just maybe wasn't going where the label thought it might have gone. It was like, dude, it was on one day we got the call from the label that they were letting us go. And then when, I want to say within like a matter of a couple hours, it went like, labeled and the manager called us then the booking agent called us and like by the end of the night we were just like okay so what do we do now <laughs> it was a really depressing moment i remember where i was, I was sitting in the barn at my house i think with alex i was like Jesus, man. And you know, that kind of thing happens to bands all the time. It's not it was still jarring though, right? I'm sure it was still jarring. It just all at once, you know? It yeah. Felt probably... It felt like everything we had worked really hard for was maybe coming to an end. And like, that's really hard to accept after, you know, putting at that point, you know, years and years, probably six years into being in a band full time. But we, you know, came back pretty quick. Me and Alex did an acoustic tour after most of the, I'm, I'm probably doing this way out of order, dude. I can't remember. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> But I know we did an acoustic tour and then, but then we did do a Kickstarter and raised enough money to record. I think that was our self-titled EP, which again, I listened to that once in a while. I'm like, damn, like I really like this EP. Me too. Our Dave Pate was on bass. Uh, Dylan Taylor was on drums. Mike was on guitar. Yeah, dude. Like those songs are some of my favorites and I forget about them sometimes. I agree. I actually really dig that EP. That's the thing. You know, I was listening to Sparks before we started talking, but once I got That's to cool. know you, I was like, oh, I like this band even more. I'm going to revisit their catalog even more. So I definitely checked 
checked all of your stuff out over the course of the last couple of years. Sweet. We've known each other and stuff. And I wanted to ask you a little bit, being released from Fearless or you guys exiting from Fearless. Yeah. Did you... Oh, we were released. <laughs> okay. Well, that kind of coincides with the question I'm going to ask. Do you think it had something to do with the music industry at that time? Less about your band? Because this was 2011, 2012, roughly. Yeah. That was yeah. a weird time. That was an interesting time for the music industry, right? You had streaming coming in and that was sort of the tail end of records not really selling the way they had been before. I remember every year I'd look on absolutepunk.net and they would do the stats for albums and I'm yeah. like... They're just selling less and less and less. The labels are making less and less money. Right. And it felt like that 2010, 2011, it just felt like there was a lot of confusion yeah. in the music industry. It's funny. I've never really thought about it like that, but I think you're exactly right. I think that's around the time that we were hearing terms like, you know, digital sales really making a, the forefront as opposed to just album sales. And, you know, it was more about iTunes, less about the record store. But then if people aren't buying your record in the store, the label's going to be losing interest in you. And yeah, I think you're right, man. I think that there was a lot of confusion and maybe I'm sure it was scary too. Like, how are we going to continue making money if people aren't buying records? And I think they definitely have that figured out now, but maybe not back then. Yeah. And, you know, it might have been just the fact that the, everything was transitioning, right? So you yeah. had the transition from digital media, because I never really latched on to the idea of having an MP3 uh, little thing on my computer, a little yeah. avatar of a song on my computer. That never really resonated with me. I never downloaded iTunes. I was never into it. I would yeah. like catalog my music because I would upload CDs to my thing, you know, just yeah. so I had them on my computer. But it seemed like there was a transition happening from digital to streaming. And at that time, it was all about just having this gargantuan single. Yeah. You know, Godier was blowing up. Fun was blowing up in 2012. But it was like they were blowing up because of the singles, not because of the albums. Right. I think you're right man it's like uh if you didn't have a single that was gonna just smash it on itunes then it was like well back to the drawing board yeah like, basically even, even though you spent you know past year writing this record and you've been in the studio for seven weeks and then it comes out and they're like well i think you guys should try again like well who knows if you were to look at the stats of it you probably had people that were still buying music regular adults who aren't in bands buying music yeah but they were buying singles and they liked the idea of oh i only have to pay for the song i like so yeah. I, i'm gonna pay 89 cents for this single and then that's cool but then all the people who enjoy albums like you and me people in bands and stuff that grew up on albums yeah that your second record being a great album those people more or less were just stealing it yeah they weren't um, buying it yeah no i don't think we made any money off album sales <laughs> but I, a lot like you man i've never been like into the whole just download the single kind of guy I, i'm a big fan of records and my favorite cds are the ones i can put it on track one and not touch it just let it play through that's what i really like absolutely man totally off topic but do you remember yellow cards song on pop goes punk oh, when they did one? the michelle branch song oh yes i do that was always I my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. You know cover. what? You're proud about the main. I think that was my first. Didn't they cover like as an Akon or something? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. They did one uh, of those singles, I think. Yeah. That was like on their, one of their early, early EPs, the main did. And I remember that's back when we were like starting to get into the touring and we listened to that in a van, in the van nonstop. Grinding, grinding up on that pole. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are the best types of pop punk covers for sure. Yes. <laughs> I always really like Little Lion Man by Tonight Alive when they cover that. Oh, I don't That's know kind of a newer one. one. Dude, it's something special. They huh. really went for it with that recording. It's cool. really, really good. It's fast. It's kind of Rufio-esque. It's got riffs in it and stuff. Oh, nice. I'm going to send that to you. It's really good. That's a song that Pamela and I, we listen to all the time. She really likes a lot of pop punk covers and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Send that to me. I want to check it out. I will for sure. Well, and now you were mentioning it earlier. You haven't been gigging as much for obvious reasons with the fact that it's cold and COVID and you can't yeah. be in small, tiny companies 
packed spaces with tons of people. And what's that been like over the years? I'm sure you've probably enjoyed partaking in music, but I've played in cover bands too, and it can be a very demanding yeah. role. It can be a lot of fun and it can be several nights in a row where you're going home at two or three in the morning yeah. and you're stopping by Taco Bell because it's literally the only thing that's open Yeah, and you're starving <laughs> and you got to get gas. And I've done that before. And, and then you're recovering the next day, more or less. Yeah. Uh, I'm really nervous to get back to it, to be honest with you. Cause I've, I'm like, I go to bed at 10 30 now and I'm up at 7 AM, which I think it's mostly to do with having a newborn, but pre pandemic, you know, even if I wasn't, if I had the night off, I still probably wouldn't go to bed till probably one or 2 AM and then get up at nine or something just cause that's what my schedule was like. Sure. So, so I'm definitely nervous about doing it, but dude, I love it. It's just so much fun. I like working for myself and choosing my own hours. Um, and you know, I really do like gigging. The thing that I had to get used to the most is doing like three and four hour sets a night instead of just like when you're on tour, you've usually put like a 45 minute set. But yeah. now it's like, you know, three to four hours a night of just singing. And that took a lot of time for me to get used to. And then with the band, you know, obviously it's way more work than just playing by myself. But dude, I just sure. love it. It's an excuse for us to all like get together and hang out as friends. Cause you know, that can be kind of difficult when you enter your early thirties or whatever. And yeah, um, it forces us to hang out and like have a beer and laugh and play music. And like, I think that's one of my favorite parts about it. Absolutely. If I play with my cover band, we're in an eighties cover band called Strike Back. Hell yeah. We, it's exactly that. It's just a great excuse to hang out with my friends that I haven't seen for a while. And we get to just laugh and be silly and reminisce a little yeah. bit and hang out and play music. And it's always a good time. So and then I definitely everyone understand gets that. paid too. So that helps. <laughs> Right. It's crazy how you actually make money in a cover band. It is, man. <laughs> and we've been more focusing on, you know, on weddings and stuff. We've done a bunch of weddings the past two years. And that I think that might be one of my favorite things to do as a musician is to play weddings. The pay is obviously a little better, but it's like being a part of people's day and making sure it goes smoothly for them. And it's become one of my favorite things to do. So I'm looking forward to doing more of those for sure. And probably still do the bar band stuff and maybe phase that out a little bit. And focus more on weddings and things. Yeah, I think that's that's my end game my end goal. Yeah, not a bad idea. There's a local cover band. I train one of the members here in town or in yep. Kansas City. Great dude. I've known him forever. He's done similar things to you. He's been in cover bands and things and he's done his own material too, which is always cool. He's always working on his own stuff, but he's in a cover band now and it's almost like a machine. They play mostly weddings and events Yeah, and they literally have cultivated a couple of cover bands so it can be like an entertainment business, so to speak. Yeah, it's very so smart. They've, yeah, they've got revolving band members that come in and they know the songs and and they have a set set list and they're just banging on all cylinders. It's a very cool, organized, well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, and I've had friends that have talked to them about potentially playing with them and being one of the band members and stuff. But that's really smart. And it's cool, man. Cause yeah, we kind of do the same thing. Like I'm in a few duos, you know, one with my buddy Nate on percussion. I'm in another duo with my friend Adrian, who does mandolin and fiddle and in a couple trios and then the band. So it's been cool to kind of cater. Okay. What are you looking for for your wedding or your event? And I can pretty much figure out how to make it work for you, whoever, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's good to be able to offer that kind of stuff. And even with our full band, it's a lot like pop goes punk because we're, you know, my cover band is the Jameson four. And we're like pretty much a pop punk cover band. So, yeah. you know, even when we do Billie Eilish, it sounds like it could be on a pop goes punk compilation. So yeah. that's kind of like our thing. And I think some people have hired us to play their weddings for that reason. It's fun because yeah. a lot of people are around our age, around late twenties to late thirties. They grew up on bands like Blink-182 and Sum 41 and Green Day and all those bands. So they have the ear for it. They understand it's going to be a is cover. This, is this what growing up is? Like all uh, the stuff you used to really like and still kind of do is becoming nostalgic now. And it's like... Oh. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> well, there's certain people that are keeping it alive, which is crazy to me yeah. to see Machine Gun Kelly. I may not be the biggest Machine Gun Kelly fan of all time, but to see a pop punk oriented record have a number one record or him having a number one record is insane to me. And the fact that Travis Barker is drumming for him, who's yeah. 45 years old, still making it happen. Whatever. They're keeping it alive. They'll inform the next generation. And it's true. And I had Green never... Day will be the Ramones. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd never heard Machine Gun Kelly. And then one of my friends was like, you got to check out Machine Gun Kelly. I'm like, okay. And I put his new record on and I thought it was pretty good. It was like, God, oh, this is like kind of, I would have really liked this back in the day, but I do like it now. Yeah. It just sounds to me like, you know, the new Blink, the really yeah. John Feldmanized sounding yeah. clean pop punk. You can hear the hip hop elements in it as well. Did he do that with low. Feldman? That's a good question, man. I don't know what the personnel on that record is because they, John Feldman sort of created a coalition of people. There's so many people working now. Zach Cervini was one of his head engineers and then he he went off on his own to work for the Madden brothers from Good Charlotte and they have wow. a studio and some of Zach Cervini's stuff sounds very Feldman. So clearly he learned a lot from him. Yeah. And uh, Travis Barker works in, in three or four different studios and it seems like they all kind of cater to that sound. And Dude. I think it started with California, started with the new Blink yeah. records. Which is like um, one of the best sounding CDs I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And that's Feldman. That's Zach Cervini engineering yeah. and Feldman producing. And I'm sure Feldman had a hand in moving some of the faders and changing tones and things like that. Yeah. So Feldman just, it seems like he's at a place now where he can have a team around him where he can teach them everything that he does. Right. And then he can go surfing for a few hours, and, yeah. which is not to, <laughs> I'm not being disparaging to him. Like that's smart. He's, he's a family man. He's going to go take care of that, but then he can come to the studio and certain tedious, laborious things are taken care of for him. And it's win-win because then Zach Cervini can go off on his own and be his own brand, his own producer. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so I'm not sure i'd be interested to see what the personnel on that mgk record is just like all the hands in it because i know they he had a lot of co-writers do you remember lobster records oh yeah man wow i haven't heard that in a while yeah so there was a band called staring back they were yeah. coming up with over it and yellow card and all them yep there's a guy that i follow i didn't even realize it but he's a co-writer and he co-wrote a lot of the new machine gun kelly record huh. guy from la he was the guitar player for staring back wow that's sm small world honestly yeah right it's just insane he yeah. posted something on Instagram the other day. It was like this random show that Staring Back played and Game Time literally played the show with him. Wow. And it's just it's just crazy. It's footage from him playing in Iowa and I was like, holy shit, like I'm yeah. pretty sure I booked that show. <laughs> but 2003, it was a long time ago. So yeah, yeah, small world for sure. So you've been doing live streams and stuff, which has been a pleasure to watch. How oh, do you like thanks. doing the live streams? I, I don't mind them now. At first it was really scary, but now I'm just used to them. Let's see. I think I started the end of March. It took me like a week of just sitting on my couch terrified back when this all started like not wanting to go outside yeah once once we calmed down a little bit i was like all right well i don't think i'm gonna be working for a while so i just started doing these and i did two a week through the summer and then for august september i was able to actually play some gigs i just did shows that were outside and it was really scary it was still you know scary because i sure you know i made like this tip jar that had a, my google phone number on it and venmo so people could just sit at their table and text me their requests rather than like having to come near me yeah and that actually worked out really well everyone like kind of got into it and i think it's brilliant man i think you do a really good job yeah thanks since and it was cool but now i'm back to doing live streams i think we're coming up on 40 or 41 this weekend but now i don't mind now that I have the right software and it doesn't sound like shit. The first three live streams, I kept them on my Facebook just so I can look back on them someday, but they sound so bad. Trial and error, man. It's the yeah. same thing with me. If you go back to some of the early podcasts, it's just me literally talking into my phone speaker. Yeah. 
<laughs> I bought a mic, but I'm learning as I go, right? Yeah. Like, I'd rather just refine my process as I go and then hopefully get better with each time I do it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did with live streams. And now, you know, about an hour before the live stream, I come in here, shut the door, do like 20 minutes vocal warm up, get the mic set up, camera set up, do a sound check, type everything up. And then I go chill for like 10 minutes and then get to it. So it's actually become like a show ritual for me. Yeah. It's something to look forward to, you know, especially rehearsing. I probably learned like six or 700 songs in the past year. Just That's just incredible, like, dude. Uh, dude, unreal. I would have never learned this many songs if there wasn't a pandemic. <laughs> but that's what's so cool though, because it's stretching you a little bit, right? Like you're, oh, you're yeah. kind of having to step outside of your comfort zone, but it's forcing you to do this. And now you have six or 700 songs that you might be able to tap back into at some point. Yeah, and I've been very good about, since the beginning, I have an app for all my sheet music and stuff. So every live stream I've done, I have the set list saved, the date I played it and what was on it. And so if anyone's like request some obscure like 90s song, I can just go to my 90s night and it's probably there. And so I've, I'm brilliant. hoping, yeah, I'm hoping once I get back out to it, all these songs I've learned are going to pay off somehow. <laughs> Dude, they absolutely will. And I think that's probably the coolest thing about it. You know, the fact that you're able to, like you said earlier, I think there's brilliance in the simplicity because of the situation you had to reframe a little bit and yeah. it forced you to acquire skills and learning all these songs because learning 600 songs is not easy. You no, know, I remember man. when I, for my cover band, I had to learn 45 songs, I think initially. It That's took a me, lot. Yeah, it took me weeks. Yeah. And it was still difficult even for many months after that playing shows pretty regularly. And we don't add songs to our set list very often. We play the same songs a lot, probably too much. And <laughs> <laughs> we have a different audience every time we play it seems right unless there are friends or whatever but I think that's really cool because this not so great situation COVID actually like you said there's some good that's coming from it and there's things that are going to serve you later totally. I was going to say too and you've probably already thought about this but it would be cool if you were able to set up some sort of like you go play a gig at an outdoor venue or something a bar hopefully COVID's going to end at some point so you're going to go back yeah. to gigging and stuff and maybe you set up your laptop and you just live stream the whole thing so people can they're staying in they've got young kids they can't go to the bar true they might be able to sh send you 10 bucks or something through the interwebs that's it a really might be good something idea. yeah because now you have the capability to do it you have the skill of just recording it right then and there. Yeah. And I think, I bet I could do that as long as the venue had like a decent Wi-Fi connection. I bet I can make that happen. That's a really good idea. I hadn't really yeah. considered that yet. There you go. I'll take 10%. All right. Thanks for the idea. <laughs> I'll send you commission. Rad, dude. It's funny because I'm pretty sure I have a friend that was doing that before COVID. He was yeah. live streaming. He didn't put up like a digital tip jar. I love the digital tip jar, by the way. I think that's a brilliant idea. We would literally put out a tip jar when we would play in our cover band on purpose. And people were generous, you know, people yeah. enjoy live music. So we weren't shy to do that. But I love the fact that you do that online as well, because we got to help each other out here. We're all in yeah. this thing together. And I try really hard. I, I try to not even bring it up. Like I don't even talk about it on the live stream. I just put it there because, you know, it's everyone's hurting in their own way. And sure, I'm, of I don't want to I don't want to beg for money or anything. So I figure right. I miss, if I can make someone's night a little bit better and they want to throw me a few bucks, cool. And if not, like, yeah. that's cool too. I don't. I think I told you the other day, we've spent so many weekends at home the last year, Pamela and I. It's been really nice just having you there. We're yeah. listening to music. We're getting nostalgic. We're listening to all these songs that I haven't heard forever. I'm singing the harmonies, you know, I'm yeah. having fun. It's been really comforting. It's been nice. It's, it's something you're doing a nice thing for people because there are a lot of thoughtful people out there that are just trying 
trying literally not to go anywhere. They're not living their lives as per usual. We're doing our best to try to mitigate going out as much as possible. And it's just been really nice because we've probably watched at least, I don't know, 10 or 15 of your live streams. That's awesome, man. It makes me really happy to hear that. And I think we formed like a little club almost on these uh, Saturday nights because me and Leslie are the same way. We don't go out. We don't really do anything. If we get food, it's takeout. We bring it home. So I think it's like a little little club that's formed on Saturday nights. And it's a lot of a lot of people have been tuning into these for, you know, many, many months. And I feel like we can all just get together, even though like I'm kind of just sitting there talking to myself. I feel like the chat just kind of goes off and does its own thing, which I love it, man. I think it's cool. If everyone else is staying home, you know, we are too. Yeah. Might as well just make a little community out of it. Of course. And like you said earlier, it's great that you're accustomed to doing it now. Like it doesn't feel so odd because I know it can be scary. I remember when I first started doing the videos where I'm literally holding the phone in front of me and I'm looking at myself and I'm like, you really talk funny and you're just, (laughs) you're disseminating every little thing that you do and all your little quirks. And do I sound like a total moron when I talk? Yeah, man. (laughs) But you get used to it after a while. That's a good thing, right? Like you get used to, it's a skill that you get better at with time. The person that forced me to start doing marketing where I literally am just stream of consciousness talking into my phone. I'm really grateful that they got me to do that and get over my fear of doing that because it's really helped me out. And I think it adds just another level of awareness for people knowing what I'm doing and stuff like that. So it's true, man. Like I, a lot of the tribute live streams, I have the set list written up first. So as soon as the video is done, I just go post a set list, but for like request nights and nights that goes off the rails, I have to go back like the next day and listen to it, like fast forward and type up the set list. I try not to get too wrapped up in listening. I'm like, oh man, I, I didn't hit that note right. Like, I can't listen to this. <laughs> Dude, it's rock and roll, man. Yeah. <laughs> you do a great job. The fact that, I mean, people should know, like if you've got 600 songs in your mind and you're able to play one of them, yeah. you can literally pick one of those out and play it. Even I'm if not, you played it a hundred times, it's still impressive. Right? I'm not going to say I play them all well, but I do play them. <laughs> You do a great job, man. It's a lot of fun. Dude, I want to be respectful of your time. I just have one more question. Maybe this is a fun one or hopefully not a daunting one, but (laughs) what are some of your favorite records? Maybe top three or four or as many or as as little as you want. I'm just curious. What's a record that gets you fired up nostalgically? You listen to it and you're just instantly transported back to a place in time. Yeah, there's so, man, I got, yeah, you're right. That is kind of a daunting question, but it's (laughs) it's a good question. I would say like records that mean the most to me are probably Too Far to Care by this band called Old 97s. Enema of the State just will always hold a place in my heart by Blink. There's a band called Name Taken who put out a full-length record that's one of my favorite CDs of all time. Control? Yes. Yeah, dude. Great record. I think it was on, what was on? Fiddler Records? Yeah. 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 They were great. I remember my first band, Game Time, we were playing the West Coast a lot. We actually got to play a show with them, which was really cool. They were cool dudes. God. Yeah. I saw them once in high school. They came to Portland, Maine and played at this restaurant and it was just like the weirdest thing, but I did get to see them once. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. That's a deep cut, man. I remember Bo from Seosin. He recorded that record. Yes. And I don't know who the drummer is on that record, but those drums are wild. He was a phenomenal drummer. Really great singer too. He had a really unique voice for that time period. He had kind of like a lower voice, you know, Everybody wanted to sound like Jordan from Newfound Glory. He had a different take on vocals for sure at that time. I remember watching them play Warp Tour quite a bit. Yeah, Warp Tour. I mean, there's so many bands. Yeah, we, I'm sure we could talk all day about our favorite CDs too. Like I was really oh, big yeah. into a lot of the Solid State Tooth and Nail bands too. Cool. Like Under Oath and Dead Poetic and Emery and all those guys. Dude, I just talked to Aaron Sprinkle. He was my last guest. 
I saw that. That's so rad. He was awesome, man. Yeah, I was definitely a huge fan of the tooth and nail solid state scene. That first dead poetic record yeah. kind of changed my life. Yep. I heard that before I heard they're only chasing safety. And I remember thinking dead poetic should be just as big, if not bigger. Yeah. That um, record just sounded so great for 2003, 2004. You're talking about new medicines, right? New medicines. Yeah. yeah. I still go back and I listen to that record. And this record sounds incredible. Yeah. I think I'm going to listen to that today, actually, when we, when we get off here, because I haven't listened to that dead poetic CD in so long and, and me and my buddy Nate were obsessed with it. Yeah, dude. Just killer band. Crazy story. If you should go listen to the labeled podcast, which is- okay the, I think Matt Carter from Emory, he does it for Tooth and Nail, but they just basically, they highlight and do deep dives on the history of Tooth and Nail and Solid State bands. Oh, really? Yeah. And he interviews Brandon, the singer of Dead Poetic. Crazy, crazy story with that band. Just nuts. Maybe you could send me that link too. <laughs> I will. Yeah, yeah no, I sweet. will. It was super fascinating. He seems like a really cool dude. He's really, he's doing really cool stuff now. It was fascinating to hear their story and their arc, but yeah, I love new medicines and vices and yeah man just Such i was always stuff. obsessed with aaron sprinkles production and his recordings yeah yeah for sure dude there's just so many great bands out of that time period i mean i get lost on spotify sometimes just like going through similar artists i'm like oh my god i remember them I'm like oh wow i remember them too yeah. i try to like add it to my throwback playlists it's <laughs> a good idea that's the great thing about spotify you can just curate these massive playlists i have so many playlists it's just ridiculous yeah yeah <laughs> me too well cool man well dude thank you for agreeing to do this i appreciate yeah. it i will definitely Definitely hit you up the second I put it up and it's been a pleasure getting to know you and work with you as well with better self and online consulting and coaching and stuff. You're killing it. You're doing a rad job. I'm really proud of you. Thanks. This group that we've been together with has been, I think the best group that I've ever worked with. It's really cool. Cause that's cool. Typically. Yeah. Cause I do in-person training mostly yeah. and I've worked with people one-on-one -on -one online, just with friends of mine and family members that live in other States and just people that have hit me up for coaching and things like that. You're killing it yeah you're doing awesome so kudos to you and thanks <laughs> very exemplary of you like you're making a good example of people who are living with intention and trying to better themselves in lots of capacities and things like that so thanks man i'm yeah, trying man. dude you're doing <laughs> you're doing it man yoda would say you're doing yes you're doing or do not I'm almost done The Mandalorian. Finally, I'm almost done The Mandalorian. Do you like it? I love it. It's the only thing I hadn't seen. And just, it's been hard sometimes to sit down and watch a show with the newborn baby and stuff. But when she goes down for a nap, I try to like watch an episode when I can. I'm obsessed. I'm, I got like a couple episodes left of season two. Okay, perfect. Dude, yeah. season two, man, I liked season one a lot, but I felt like season two was, holy shit, like another yeah. level. Pamela just got this for me. It's a mouse pad. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I like, I love you so much. You yeah. embrace all my nerdiness. I just oh, held yeah. up a Mandalorian mouse pad for the listeners at home. <laughs> so real quick, have you seen Clone Wars and all that stuff? Yeah, I've pretty much, I, I don't know if this, maybe there's Star, Star Wars stuff I haven't seen, but I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it all. Okay, because that's the thing that I have not seen. I haven't watched any of the animated stuff. I'm a nerd, yeah. but like, I don't have time to watch eight seasons or however many there are of a cartoon. That was one of those things that kind of like good background, like throw it on in the background if I'm cleaning or something. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. That's a good idea, actually. I listened to Thank the Maker, which is the Star Wars podcast that Ryan Key from Yellow Card, Adam from Story of the Year, and Nick from Bayside do. I don't know if you've heard that. I haven't. That sounds sweet, though. It's so much fun, man. They're at 51 episodes now, but they're starting to talk about the Clone Wars. They're going over the entire series, and I don't even know if I want to listen to this because I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, can you send me that one, too? I'm, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you lots of stuff today. Okay. Sweet. 
<laughs> All right, man. Well, dude, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. I'm sure I'll be talking to you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Stay warm up there in Maine. Thanks. And look forward to your live stream this weekend. We'll be watching. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was great talking to you. You too, man. All, All right. right. See you. All right. See you, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 